His was a memorable if tempestuous career with more than its fair share of highs and lows. It began in South Melbourne, ended at Carlton and took in Sydney in between. In the end, it afforded him 182 games in total, 106 of them at Carlton and a Premiership medallion and Norm Smith medal to show for it. Known on a first-name basis with Tribunal Chairman Neil Bissey, he's fondly remembered here at Carlton as the blonde in the number 26 Guernsey, known simply as Reese. I'm, of course, speaking of the one and only David Reese-Jones, today's very special guest, and we welcome him now. Reese, how's things? <laughs> very good. There was never a dull moment, was there, Beast? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Reese. Um, we will get to that, uh, uh, that excitement of your career very soon, but we need to really set up uh, the early story, and I, I wanted to first of all ask you about your origins, your family history. Um, was there a sporting pedigree in your family? Was Dad uh, a footballer in his own right? And what can you tell us about those early days, your formative years as growing up as a footballer? Yeah, look, Dad was uh, he was a very good footballer. Um, you know, played in the ruck as, as uh, you know, he's probably six one, I suppose. And back in those days, he was reasonably tall and and, and skinny and lanky. And um, and from all reports, he he was a pretty good footballer around the suburbs and that. And uh, he did get invited down to South Melbourne. He, he lived in Albert Park to um, play with them, but he he was actually getting paid more to. Um, uh, play local footy than, than what he would have got playing for South Melbourne. So, um, and he was a Carlton supporter, I suppose. So, uh, you know, that, that sort of was a bit of a tie-in as well. But um, he, I don't think he wanted to play against Carlton. Was he a winger, Reese, And was he a feisty character on the field? Yeah, no, no. From what I gathered, and, and obviously I didn't see my dad play, but uh, um, yeah, no, from what I've been told, he, he was a pretty fair type of footballer. So... Uh, no, it, what it, happened? It wasn't. It wasn't his fault. Put it that way. But uh, yeah, well, we'll get into that later. And uh, mum was mum uh, like sports a sports person in her own right? Did she did she involve herself in in sports as a as a young woman or oh, not? a little bit? There wasn't much for women back in those days. She used to play a bit of tennis and and, and stuff, and uh, got involved in in that side of things more more on a social aspect than everything. But she was heavily involved in, you know, I, I, I've played most of my junior football with the Oakley Youth Club Football Club, which is now the Oakley Dragons, and. Um, and yeah, you know that that you know both mum and dad were life members of the club with the you know amount of uh, time and, and effort that they put in, whether it be in the canteen or, or setting things up, or, or dad you know getting the smoke nights going or whatever. But uh, yeah, look, they were great times, and um, yeah, definitely had a, a big influence on my football. And was there backyard footy at your house, or you know, roll up pair of socks being kicked around in the bedroom? What did you? Yeah, well, there's a bit, a bit of everything. I mean, the old plastic footy when we're, you know, three or four years old, we would be getting kicked around the backyard. And, and I had a brother who was a year older, and um, and he buried for Carlton and I buried for Richmond. So um, back in the late 60s, early 70s, Richmond-Carlton were pretty fierce matches. And it was pretty fierce in the backyard too. So, uh, yeah. Now, David, you, you crossed from um, Oakley Districts as a junior player and joined... The Swans played senior footy, I think, from 1980 through to 84. Um, it was a, a hell of a, of a transition for you, um, coming from you know the back blocks as a kid straight into the cut and thrust of league footy. Yeah, look, I, I was a 17-year-old kid. I was about 10 and a half stone, ringing wet at that stage. And, um, 
yeah, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity uh, to play, you know, for South Melbourne back in those days. Uh, for people who can remember South Melbourne, um, yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough to be given an opportunity there and, and, and as a 17-year-old and, and played senior footy in my first year, yeah. And it was Greg Miller that got you across? Yeah, Greg was part of the recruiting, or he was head, heading up of the recruiting process. And, um, yeah, I got invited down to a Kazali day at, um, at Waverley, at VFL Park Waverley, and... Um, Teams from South Melbourne's four areas played against each other. The um, um, Anthony Danaher was, uh, you know, and there, there are a few good guys. I think Dennis Carroll is involved with the the Wagga team and and Brett Scott and a few others. And and um, yeah, and, and I was with the local eastern suburbs part of it. And uh, yeah, so I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to train with the seniors um, in in the in the early stages of, of preseason training. And um, and I went from there. And you learnt a lot from your time at South Melbourne slash Sydney, and do you still have a deep affinity for the for the place? For the Swans, yeah, probably not so much. I was disappointed in the way it all finished, I suppose, with the Swans, and um, and you know, I mean, while you're playing, you don't want to leave a club, but I felt like I was in a position where I was forced to leave. So um, yeah, look. I, I was happy to see them, you know, win a couple of flags over the last few years, but uh, and and good on them. I think they got great character, and it, you know, it was a hard battle up there for a long, long time. And and the Swans, um, you know, at, at various times, you know, looked like they weren't going to um, continue on. So for what they've been able to turn it around is is a credit to the people involved these days. David, you joined Carlton from the Swans in nineteen eighty five. Can you? Talk a little bit about the circumstances that led to you leaving the Swans. Yeah, look, I mean, at the time, I didn't want to leave Sydney and, uh, you know, I was established up there and, and, and looking, I suppose, in that next year to put, probably put a deposit down the house and, and do a few things. Um, but the AFL, in their wisdom, I suppose, at the time, sacked uh, quite a number of um, the administration, Swans people. I mean, Dean Moore was one of them. Greg Miller was another. And, and these, these were the type of people we trusted, you know, when we were moving up there. And, and um, you know, they were our mentors. And, and Greg obviously recruited me. So you placed a bit of faith in them. And, and when they were sacked and they put basically some VFL cronies in up there, I suppose, and... Um, you know, I mean, it was it was it was tough times. They, they they called us in the first meeting they had with us. They said that anyone who um, was getting a rise in their contract for the next year um, wouldn't be getting it. Everyone would be on the same salary as they were the year before. And so I, I spoke to them afterwards, and I said, "What? What? That's right across the board?" And they said, "Yep, that's across the board. Um, there'll be no uh, players." You know, I said, "Well, look, I'm." I've got another year of my contract to run, and uh, and um, you know I can go elsewhere and get paid double what you, you you won't pay me, sort of thing. So I said this is ridiculous, and um, I was lucky enough that my manager, when I moved to Sydney, you know I'd just signed a three year contract, put a clause in there stating that um, if I demanded my money after the season and wasn't paid within thirty days, then my contract become null and void. And I knew the Swans didn't have any money, so we enacted that. Um, and they didn't pay me within the 30 days. So basically, I, I was a free agent. Even though I had a year on my contract to go, I, I could walk straight out of my contract and go wherever I wanted. And um, I, I, I spoke to him and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, look, I, w- I want to talk to some clubs in Melbourne. And um, the two clubs I was thinking of at the time, because, I mean, if you're going to leave a club, I always thought, well, 
I want to go to one that you know you can play in a premiership. I hadn't played any finals footy. I'd watched it every year. I'd you know been in the system five years and was starting to make a bit of a name for myself. And uh, and so Hawthorne and Carlton were the two teams who um, I asked him to sort of you know gauge if there's any interest or not. And the, well, there was interest from both of them, but uh, Hawthorne had a different pay structure to Carlton, so um, it was. Uh, it basically got down to to two dollars and cents in the end, and and Hawthorne look they had a great, um, you know, I mean it was probably the greatest era of a, a club, and and I was thinking about going there, but uh, went to Carlton for the money. And I've heard of the different pay structures because I understand that at Hawthorne the brown paper bags were slightly smaller than the Carlton bags. Well, no, I didn't even see the brown paper bag, but what happened was they basically. And I was, how, was, how it was explained to me was Lee Matthews was the captain. He was the highest paid. And they'd put you in the pecking order where they saw, you know, and, and so everyone was paid on, on how they saw your value to the team and that. And I was thinking that doesn't sound um, very promising. What happens if an injury or suspension or something, which obviously occurred to me a fair bit. So, um, yeah, Carlton was the, was the one option. I, look, I, I went down, I spoke to Ian Collins and, and Keith McKenzie, on a Saturday morning, flew into Melbourne, straight down there, spoke to them. Um, at the end of that meeting, I said, "Well, look, I said it's all right for you guys to say, you know, you want me to come and everything, but I'd, you know, I'd like to hear it from the coach as well, who was David Parkin at the time. They organised David Parkin to see me that afternoon, so um, you know, I was pretty impressed with that, and actually signed a contract that afternoon. So, do you I was remember done and where? You, do you remember where you met David Parkin and what he actually said in that conversation? It was, it was a, um, I don't know, it was in St Kilda Road somewhere, it was an office or something in St Kilda Road, I'm not too sure if my accountant had organised it or whether Collo had organised it or, or what had happened there, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was an office in St Kilda Road and we met there in the morning and then went away and then come back and met at the same place in the afternoon and and I spoke to Parco for a while and he seemed convinced that, you know, he'd I'd be a good fit for his team and so forth and... Uh, yeah, it went from there. I, and, and I didn't want to get involved in any um, protracted uh, bidding wars. You know, I didn't want to speak to anyone else. So I just signed the contract and, and that was done and dusted then and there. In, in retrospect, uh, in, in your life, how highly does that rate in terms of one of the best decisions you've made? Oh, look, no doubt it was um, it, it, it was a decision that... Look, I... <laughs> With footy, I, I didn't want to be seen to be a mercenary type of person. And I left through principles. I mean, as I said, I had a year of a contract to go in, in Sydney. and um, But, I, you know, I wasn't being treated the way I should have been treated. I was, I was willing to abide by my end of that contract. And the, the people I appointed at the club then weren't prepared to abide by that. So, to me, that, you know, um, that was an easy move to make. And, and, and the move to Carlton was, um, once again, I mean, I could have put myself up and, and spoke to every club in the league and, and, and gone to the highest bidder. But, uh, no, I preferred to just, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't want to put that added pressure on, although coming to Carlton actually put, put a lot of pressure on anyway. So, uh, you know, obviously they... Yeah, you know, they they want a success, and I dare say your father would have cracked open the Verve Clico, being a great <laughs> carp man. He would have been over the moon with that. Uh, yeah, I don't know about the Verve Clico, but a long neck, I reckon he would have uh, <laughs> would have had at that stage. Now, um, David, we we've spoken about the Sydney connection. We talk about Carlton now. Again, when you walked into Carlton, nineteen eighty five, Princess Park as it was then. First impressions. What 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 was your view of the place, and how did you find it? 
Oh, look, I mean, you, you walk in, you, you can almost smell the success of the place. You know, you, you see the greats on the wall, the, you know, Jezelenko, Duel, who was still playing, um, Nichols, you know, Southby, just champions um, right through, you know, and you just knew it was a special place. You know, it just reeked to success and there was expectations. I mean, very high expectations, which I hadn't really come across at, at South Melbourne or the Swans. I mean, we could play a team such as Carlton or an Essendon back in those days and, and, and get beat by a couple of points and, you, and your supporters would be cheering you off the ground. They'd be happy that you you run a good team to a, to a couple of points. And uh, that didn't sit great with me. I mean, I, I wanted to win and um, wanted to be successful. So it was uh, it was a different kettle of fish coming down to Carlton where, you know, you, you could have had 15 injuries and you doesn't matter. The 20 who pull that navy blue Guernsey on are expected to win. Of course, timing is everything. You're at the you know right place, right time, as a lot of Carlton players of your era were. Um, 86 was obviously a disappointment. Um, you know, it's often said you have to take a step backward to take a couple forward. What were your recollections of the experience of playing in the 1986 grand final, just of running out and being a part of that day, and what did you learn from that game that put you in good stead for the following year? Oh look, I I, um, I I played on Gary Ayres that day, so he he won the Norm Smith Medal. So um, um, I remember the Mad Monday, and uh, all the boys were calling me Smithy all day. So um, because Ayres he won the Norm Smith Medal, so I had to wear that for the the course of Mad Monday. But that was part and parcel of it, and I, you you got to grin and bear it. But look, I think we had a pretty young team. We had a lot of guys: um, Kernahan, Bradley, Motley, who'd just come over from South Australia, having their first year. I think Dorotich was in his first year at the club, and um, it, it was a, you know a lot of us had never played on that big stage, been on that big stage before. So it was, and while we had some guys who you know we had some triple premiership players, and I think Dooley had played in four or five or whatever. So you know we 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 had a mix there, but. Um, it definitely the next year were, were better prepared and, and knew what knew what it was all about. You know. and, and of course, you had that extra incentive. I, I think you know, with with the accident to Peter Motley, Des English was battling cancer, and of yep. course, Bernie Evans, your old mate, missed out on the the, the one crack at the at the flag. Yeah. Got Best player at yeah. f- field in the second semi. Can you talk about those three, the the influence that those three uh, players had on? your preparations for that season in the, in the premiership? I, I, quite often you look at it and you, you, you might see it might be the Olympics or it might be a big event and you, you'll see someone and they, and they dedicate it to um, um, someone who wasn't there. You know, it might have been a father who passed away during the course of the year who inspired him along the way or whatever. And you quite, quite often, and, and I've got no doubt that those, you know, Des... Um, you know, contracting cancer. Mott's had his serious accident, and, and Bernie, as you mentioned, was a good mate of mine. Who we had three, uh, you know, three of our comrades who couldn't be out there with us, basically. And um, and and I got no doubt that that was in the back of everyone's mind. Um, you know, on that particular day, and 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 it just uh, that steely resolve was there that we weren't going to let them down. As much as you know, we didn't want to let ourselves and our supporters and our everyone else down. It was uh, probably that little bit extra you needed, that little 1% that you just needed um, to just uh, concentrate and, and, and do, you know, do the job over over 100 minutes of footy. And, um, yeah, it definitely played a huge part. And you've been on the receiving end of a lot of uh, unfortunate tribunal penalties, but I, I dare say you would even admit that 
you know, the two-match penalty meted out to Bernie was the cruelest penalty of all. You know, fellow that played... It was one match. He only got one. the one match. Yeah, one. he got the one match and it was a, it was a grand final. And, and you know, um, so, yeah, look, and, uh, you know, I'm still good mates with Bernie today and you still feel for him, you know, I mean... And he was an enormous part. I had a pretty big, you know, um, interest in getting Bernie to Carlton sort of thing and um, and, and was glad when he was there because he, he was just, you know, a terrific bloke but a great clubman as much as – so on and off the field, he, he was fantastic, Bernie, and, uh, and a real presence around the, around the club and, and everyone loved him. So, you know, I think everyone was, was pretty disappointed that Bernie couldn't, you know, be out there for us and, and obviously, you know – Coming from a, a, you know the Swans and South Melbourne, um, you know not ach- not achieving our success and, and being rubbed out for one week is uh, it's a very harsh penalty that is. Absolutely. Now it's famous, of course, your performance in '87. You know the the, the great showing on Dermot um, in that grand final, an orthodox position of centre half back. Many respects, Wolsey made the call grand final week. When, when did you find out? Did you have any inkling that this would be the job for you, Grand Final day. No, no, we were, every, everything was pretty well normal until you know, you walk into the room and and you look on the board and see where you're playing. And um, you know, I saw myself at centre half back on, on on Dermot, and I thought, oh well, here's, here's a challenge. You know, I'm either, either going to be best on ground or the worst on the ground. So uh, I don't think it's going to be much of an in between with this one. But um, yeah, it's a great challenge, and I, I think I think I played a lot of my better football when I was. Given a challenge, yeah. did you had you played in that position before at any stage in your career? No, I'd, I'd gone on to the back line, you know, and played a bit across half back and and so forth during the course of that year. But uh, yeah, it was the first time I'd sort of really played back line, so it was um, it was a bit of a risk, but um, it worked. And there was no apprehension given what had happened in '86. I mean, you know, you've mentioned, you know, you probably lowered your colours to GS that day were there nerves going into that game any apprehension at all that oh you know this is going to be a a tough afternoon or were you relishing the opportunity to atone for what had happened yeah no not really I mean I'd you know I'd probably had a reasonable final series in 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 86 other than that grand final and um and 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 even looking at that game you know in in hindsight sort of thing there were a few times where I was in in good position but um the Hawthorne pressure and that that day was you know just meant that um you know I wasn't the closest checking wingman or 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 so 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 he was able to get out in his own a few times which it could have gone the other way you know if we had had the ball and had a bit more control of the ball um, I probably would have, you know, had had a bit better day that day, but that's the way footy goes, and that's you know. But with with Dermot, he he was a player you had to just uh, concentrate on and, and and be on for that full hundred minutes because um, you know he was one of those blokes who could really turn a game of football in in the space of five or six minutes, and um, so I had to make sure he didn't do that. And of course, it was a thirty three, thirty four degree day. Um, uh, t- terrible conditions, you know, for for playing really. And I know a, a lot of players, you know, dehydrated. There are a few fellows laying low at the celebrations afterwards. At what stage of that game did you think you had Hawthorne? I remember it was about probably about twenty minutes into the last quarter, and and um, and we just kicked a goal, and 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 I've sort of given a little fist pump, and yes, and 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 Dermot turned to me and said, said. 
you blokes won this game 10 minutes ago. You know, the game was over. You, you know, you basically, you know, I think he'd realised that the game was was lost to them. But um, until you hear that final siren blow, you, you don't want to really, you know, especially after losing one the year before, you just don't want to um, let it slip. And, and, you know, as I mentioned, you know, guys like Burton, that they can turn it on in five minutes and kick four or five goals and put them back in the game. So, yeah, we are, when, when the siren blew, I was... Relieved as much as anything. And I've heard Stephen Silvani mention a very similar story about playing or standing on Gary Ablett in the 95 grand final. You know, the game was probably over a long time before he conceded it was over because of his fear that someone like Ablett could turn the game so quickly. Yeah, yeah, there were. There's some great players, um, you know, who, who who had the ability to change the, the, the way a match was flowing and, um, you know... The, Wayne Carey was another. I mean, there, there, there's some great players over the, over the time who, who really Dacos type, you know, great players who could just turn the game and, and Dermot was one of them. Do you believe you played better games for Carlton than that, that game or do you th- think in retrospect that was the greatest game of football you actually played personally? Oh, no, I think I played better games of football. I mean, the 86 second semi-final, I think I had about 34, 35 possessions or, or something along those lines. And I actually played on the on the uh, resting Rovers in that match out on a wing and um, and, and had a great game. So, um, and hence, um, I, I copped Gary Ayres the following, you know, or two weeks later. But um, yeah, but that's, you know, that's part and parcel. And that was a better game, all-round game of football that I played. You know, at a lot of the job in the back line, I mean, you know, I had guys like Soss and Peter Dean and, and Tommy Alvin and, and that back there, Mick Kennedy and so forth, who, uh, you know, they, they were probably more dour defenders than, than what I was. I mean, I like running around getting a kick myself and uh, and causing a bit of trouble here and there, but uh, I didn't have to that day. So it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it just all clicked. Now, can you talk a little bit about receiving the Norma Smith Medal? There's a great story about about that episode and the person that you actually received the medal from. What was the history there between you and the presenter of the medal? <laughs> well, it was fun. You got to go back to uh, round eighteen, nineteen eighty one. It was South Melbourne versus Melbourne at the MCG, and. Um, I'd had a ripper first quarter. I probably had about nine or ten possessions in the first quarter on a wing, and um, Ron Brassi was coaching Melbourne at that stage. And I don't know whether he told someone that I need to be stopped or halted or whatever. But Brent Croswell decided about five minutes into the second quarter that he was going to take my head off with his knee, and I was on my hands and knees, and he. It's one of those ones where you're that close to being knocked out, but not knocked out. That you, you know, you, you stars seeing stars, and you're blurred, but you you know what's happening, and and you're not knocked out, and you, you get to your feet, and you, and um, and I I actually got reported, I think it was five times after that, and it was an all in blue, and I was reported for kicking Croswell, striking Croswell, um, I was reported for hitting crackers Keenan. I got reported five times in the in the one match, but it was all in, all within about ten minutes. And um, and the last charge was hitting the runner, and the the Melbourne runner that day happened to be Peter Smith, who happened to be Norm Smith's son. So um, I got four weeks hitting the runner, and um, yeah, so it's ironic, isn't it? How you you know, fast Norm forward. Smith. I yeah yeah, I whacked his kid and won his medal, and Peter presented it. Yeah yeah yeah. So. 
I think it was Bob Hawke actually that day. I can't remember that. It's uh, yeah. Look, I mean, look, it was all a blur after that, and 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 while it was good to get the medal, I suppose it was. Um, it's, I mean, we play a team sport. I mean that that um, you know we all had to do our job on that day, and and and, and to you know be the be the number one team, and uh, and that was it. What what's happened to the medal, Reese? You've got a front and centre in your house at home? No, no, it's been floating around. I've moved a few times. I uh, I was divorced and then um, so I was sort of packing bags and, and boxes and things and around it. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I could tell you where it is at this point in time, but um, I'm sure it's somewhere. Does it mean a lot to you? The medal itself? No, but as I said, it's an individual prize. You know, we, we, we play a team sport and um, no. No, not not a great deal. I mean, the one thing about it, I suppose, is when when you go somewhere and you get introduced, and and and, um, and people will say the nineteen eighty seven Norm Smith medalist David Rhys Jones, you know, rather than the bloke who got reported twenty five times, and and you know, I would have just been that mug who got reported twenty five times otherwise. So at least I got, you know, people can know that I could play football as well. And I dare say you do have a premiership medallion, which you probably yep. treasure more. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's what you play footy for. That's um, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the medals themselves. I'm not even too sure if they're they're probably worth about ten bucks each to to make back in those days. But um, but they don't take your name out of the book, so yeah, and they're very hard to win. Hard to win, that's mm. for sure. Um, on a completely different matter, you know, we sit here talking to you, Luca, our producers here, listening to you. Um, a more amicable, genial bloke you couldn't get which was the absolute antithesis of the way you played your footy. What was it about crossing the white line that actually set you off? Oh, look, it was, I think it was Lou Richards who, who coined the phrase, you know, about me, you know, this kid's got white line fever, and um, which means something different these days. I think Ben Cousins has got white line fever, hasn't he? But um, I'm not too sure about that. But that was coined. But Lou, Lou also said, he said, you want to meet this kid? He said... He said when he gets to the footy, he said he takes his head off and puts a pumpkin on and runs out. And um, he wasn't far off the mark either because, uh, look, I did some stupid things. But What was it, Reese? Is it spur of the moment? Have you ever analysed it? What, what was it that triggered this sort of behavioural pattern that totally went against the way yeah. you were off the field? Early, early days, it was a matter of, um, you know, I was a skinny kid. I think I was about 62 kilos in round two, 10 and a half stone, I think it was, uh, when I first started as a 17-year-old. And I was, you know, uh, just shy of 6'2", I suppose. So I was a skinny kid and I wasn't going to be pushed around. And, and I, you know, back, back in those days, I mean, clubs would send players out to target you and niggle you and um, try and put you off the game. And... and and when they realised that I, you know, I could be upset out there, it, it become a bit, you know, a bit where where it was as much, you know, the the opposition out there trying to antagonise you and trying to get you off your game as it was, um, you know, I didn't want to. And, and and put it this way, I copped better ones than I ever give out there anyway. So uh, it was, um, yeah, just one of those things that you know was part and parcel of my footy, and um, you got to live with it. Was it important to you to play 100 games for Carlton? Your name's on the locker, you know, it's, which is a great thing, the number 26 locker. And I haven't even asked you why number 26. Well, why did you get that Guernsey? Did you have a choice in it? No, well, I, look, I mean, numbers didn't mean much to me. I mean, well, they meant a little bit, but when I was at South Melbourne, I had my first year and, and, and I broke my leg in my fourth game and, and um, so missed the rest of the year. 
but um, it was one of those things. I was wearing number forty. Then they said, "Oh, you know, do you want to lower number and for next year?" And and I said, "Yeah, yeah, that'd be great." And you know, thinking I might get down in the first twenty or so, and and they give me number thirty. So <laughs> I thought, "Ah, oh, bugger it, I'll just wear number 30 And it didn't worry me too much. And and when I got to Carlton, I, I must admit, I, I I did used to stir Fraser Murphy up a bit because he was wearing the number thirty Guernsey, and so I let him know that you know it was part of my contract that um, I'd be picking up the number thirty Guernsey. And, and he, he, he got pretty angry about it because I kept stirring him and, and another bugs would jump on as well and say, we, what, what number are you going to be next year, Murph? And uh, he got a bit shirty about it, but uh, numbers didn't mean much to me back then and um, 26 was available and, uh, yeah, I suppose, you know, you make that number your own anyway. Absolutely. Now, in retrospect, um, were there were there regrets when you look back on your career? Do you, you know, you believe you wrung the cloth dry? Are there things that you would do differently differently were you to have your time over again <laughs> too many of them too many and 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 that's a thing it was a different ball game back in our day it was a completely different ball game it's more a social um you know while while it was serious and 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 um you know i mean we drank copious amounts of alcohol smoked cartons of cigarettes and and did all the things you wouldn't want to do. I mean, people people talk about performance enhancing these days. I mean, we, we did the opposite in our days. We did things that make you play worse than what you know. I mean, we we could have been much better, but unfortunately, we. Um, but it was it was great times, and 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 life on and off the field um, was fantastic back in those days. It, it really was. I mean. You're almost rock stars in, in Melbourne sort of thing. And, and you'd be out there and, and, and all the other players from other clubs, you'd be associating with them. And uh, it, was, it was a great time. But in saying that, I, I suspect that the players of the year in which you played perhaps had more balanced lives. They weren't totally professional. So there was time to play the game, time to work and time to relax. And it seemed to be a, a, a pretty level sort of mix yeah, yeah, we all worked. I mean, we all, we all had our, well, not nine to five. I mean, we'd be down at training at probably 4.30 start or quarter to five start, but that was um, three nights a week. And, and um, yeah, but we, you know, had to hold down a job during the day. So we had a, a variety of um, uh, professions and, and, and blokes, you know, academics and, and knuckleheads and, and whatever. But, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was strange. It was a different different era but uh we enjoyed it and, and, and look when it, when it come down to the footy side of things um while we enjoyed that social side of things when we when it come to playing we, we were fair income i mean we might have partied hard you know on the weekend than the week before but that was all forgotten about and once you you know they bounced the ball it was on for young and old we're nearing the end of the interview reese but uh, there a couple of final ones do you care to nominate the best Carlton player you saw play in your time and perhaps the best opposition player you encountered over the journey? Oh, look, I was always amazed by Bruce Stool and um, he, he was just... And I was lucky enough to you know, in, in play in his last two years. Um, he, he was just a superstar. I remember, you know, I mentioned before, I, I, I grew up barracking for Richmond and, and had number four on me back and, and Royce Hart, you know... Played on 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 Bruce Stool and and they had some magnificent battles and both were absolute champions and and to be able to play with Bruce was was an honour in itself. Um, big games, Jono was was sensational. Um, he was just an absolute beauty. The bigger the game, um, the better it was. But uh, and an opposition. Oh, look, oh, Gary Ablett always amazed me. He, he was um, he he could do anything on the footy field. He he was a beauty. He he could 
take a mark. You know, he could jump as high as anyone. He could run as fast as anyone. He could kick left foot, right foot. He could uh, he could do anything. He could hurt players out in the field. He hit them hard. He was he was tough. Um, so he he was he was a freak. And uh, so you know, I enjoyed watching him. I didn't enjoy sort of playing on him too much. And I played on him a couple of times, but. Uh, yeah, one of those things. He was he was he was a superstar. And your love for the game is it still there? The game's changed a lot, and some may argue possibly not for the better. The way that it used to be played, where there was perhaps more influence influence on individuality and players showing flair. But yep, um, do you still love the game as much now as you did then? Yeah, I, I must admit, going back, um, I think it was around the mid nineties. Uh, no, it wasn't the mid-90s. It would have been the mid-2000s when the Swans and Eagles were playing those couple of grand finals. And and Paul Roos brought in that negative style of football. And, and football, to me, can't become boring. And, and, and I thought, this is the end of footy. This is stuffed footy completely. It, it really has. And... Um, you know, then Geelong come along and, and were able to beat that, you know, that flooding and, and, and that type of game and, and, and run the ball through the middle and, and open it up. And, and, and I really do appreciate the players now. I mean, they're magnificent athletes. I'm glad that this drug thing's come up at the moment because um, I think it's going to stop this sports science type of thing because I think they're having a bit too much to say in the way the game's run rather than um, football people controlling the game. Um, so let's hope that you know we get rid of these sports science nuts who just get in there and say, well, you can train for 37 minutes and that's it sort of thing. And you're going, Jesus Christ, the blokes might need a flogging today. You know, we'll train over an hour and 37 if we have to, you know, to get the response you need. But, you know, I think there's been a bit too much involvement. I love seeing the best players out on the ground. So the only thing, I, you know, the only other thing I'd like to see is... Um, uh, not as many interchanges because, um, you know, I, I honestly think, you know, there, there's a few things in footy which is sort of you cr- make make you cringe a bit, but it, it probably happened back in the 80s as well. I mean, everyone keeps talking about the old days and that, but uh, there's a lot of blowouts in games and a lot of ordinary games to watch as well. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think footy's in a great position. Hopefully they get through this um, drug saga and, 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 and people can put things in place to make sure we've got the greatest game in the world it, it is just the the best spectator sport you, you'll ever see and um, and for people to infiltrate it with with drugs and so forth um, we need we need to eradicate that side of it and just you know it's such a great game you know that uh, you know it, it'll 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 live on it'll it'll keep going it's, it's fantastic and a final question Reese, which is a question we put to all of our guests um, what does Carlton mean to you uh, Carlton's where I had um, some great relationships with people and, and, and I think that's what um, footy clubs are. I mean, as much as it's success and everything else, you know, I, I've been able to um, achieve a lot in my life because of, you know, playing football for Carlton. I mean, it's, it's, it's helped me a lot in, you know, to where I am today. And, and so, you know, I always think that, you know, I mean, Footy clubs don't owe me, you know, or don't owe anyone anything. I mean, we are the footy clubs, and and that's probably why you know we've got back involved a few of us and and um, and trying to you know help the club at the moment. We've we've sort of spent um, a bit of money with the Spirit of Carlton on on equipment for the players over the last few years, and hopefully that's helped them. I mean, we we you know really want to see that number seventeenth premiership uh, land here at Carlton, and it's just a, it's a great place it's been you know there's been some great people along the way I've, I've had the pleasure to meet and uh, and associate with and, and, and call my friend and, and and that's what 
you know, footy clubs are all about. And Carlton, you know, is a great part of my life. And uh, if I can give a little bit back in, in my old age, then, then I will. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, this side of the white line, always a bonus. <laughs> Thanks again for giving us your time. It's been fantastic to hear, hear you articulate your thoughts about Carlton and the game itself. And, and all power to you uh, both for this year and beyond. And to you, Tony. I really enjoyed this. Lovely conversation.